You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Good afternoon from an exceptionally warm Johannesburg. Our newsreader said that we can expect showers this afternoon. Let's hope we don't get another teaser where we hear the rumbling of thunder and have a little bit of flashes of lightning and we don't follow up with the rain. We really, really, really need the rain. We always need rain, but now more so than ever. Uh, We've been hearing about this state capture inquiry that's taking place in Parktown, just down the road from our studios. And I find it quite ironic that when the the parameters of this uh, particular commission of inquiry was drawn up, we said that it's very limited. Everybody's looking at the Guptas, etc. But now, in the midst of this inquiry, one hears of a bank that was captured, VBS. One hears how Busasa paid money to the presidential campaign or the presidential aspirations at the time of our now current sitting president, Cyril Ramaphosa. And again, I maintain the parameters of this particular commission of inquiry are far too limited. State capture is taking place around us. It's not stopping. It's going to continue. It's something that is endemic, not just in South Africa, but worldwide. It's just so, so very apt that all of these new disclosures are coming out, and it's not going to stop. If one looks at the past, when one looks at Gumedi with Kojima and what happened with the, the funding from the Treasury of a home affairs system that should have been used leading up to 2010 at our airports, it was never, ever delivered. SARS had to step in and deliver a system. If one looks at all the other debacles that have taken place over the years with the Limpopo textbook delivery scandal, where the textbooks never, ever were delivered to students, and students are still suffering as a result of that to this day. All of this should have been included in the so-called State Capture Commission of Inquiry. I think we've been very picky and very choosy in deciding that just one family is responsible for state capture in South Africa. No one's saying they didn't capture, but what I'm saying is they didn't capture on their own. I'm going to be joined a little bit later in studio by none other than Mike Bollas. We'll be chatting about his brand new television show. But before we get there, I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of Chai FM. <laughs> You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. If you want to join in the conversation, uh, if you have any questions for my guest, you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. That number again is 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519, taking into consideration that SMSs do cost one rand fifty each. And, of course, you can always tweet us at HiFM. Always a pleasure to have Mike Bollace in studio. I think this is maybe your fourth time, Mike. Yes, uh, Chad, and thanks for the opportunity, man. Mike, congratulations. Your show's um, ratings, it's called Bollace, it's on CakeNet, are going through the ceiling. Tell us how the show came about and tell us why you think the show is doing so well. Um, For years now, uh, producers, representatives from CakeNet asked me for a show. And I've every time declined. But last year, uh, or the beginning of this year, I'm not sure now, uh, it was offered to us once again on the way that we want it, which is exactly as it is. I've told them since day one, they should shoot me interviewing people as it is, speaking as I do. Uh, It must be absolutely as I am. And I'm prepared to take the risk if it would to offend people or or if I would be accepted. The bottom line was to be known for who and what I really am and what I stand for. And the intention was to bring awareness of the state of this nation, to try and show it as horrific as possible as it is. 
also to do crime prevention in the same process and needless to say as to expose me and my organization for who and what we really are and what we stand for. What I appreciate about your show is the fact that there's no filter. You say it as it is. There's a lot of beeping out where you've used words that maybe you shouldn't use on air because it's not scripted. They're asking you a question. You're answering the question. You're not being given time to think about the question. Another thing that I appreciate about the show is that people that may have dissenting views to you have been interviewed and given their viewpoint. You haven't had the the um, oversight where you can say, no, I don't want people to speak negatively about one of my investigations or what I'm doing. And I think that takes a lot because a lot of people prefer to just have their narrative and their agenda spread. And we're living in a very new age. We've now got the the news going direct to the consumer, be it via social media, um, be it via um, these what we call reality shows such as yours where people can see things direct for what they are. They're not documentaries that have landed up in an editing suite where most of the stuff lands up on the floor and they're not, they, they, they're not where the person that's speaking has his views censored. And I think living in the Trump era, people want to hear things directly from the individuals. What's your take on that? Well, you basically um, said what, and you say it very well, uh, what I would have said, but to color it in a bit, is I have at that stage said to Rian van Eerden, which is the producer, I said to him, specifically, do not cut out anybody that has anything to say about me. I actually said to him, go to probably the most uh, revered or known person or persons or woman and ask them, or most known of a specific case, like the Ralph Haynes case, and uh, ask them to say their say and say what they mean and mean what they say. And uh, that was filmed. Another interesting thing is, uh, which I think the public would uh, like, is that I've never, ever seen any of the episodes beforehand. In other words, every Wednesday night, like this Wednesday night is on police corruption, I'll be seeing it for the first time. So I don't watch, I don't edit, I don't get involved but the requirement was, I told them very specifically, if there's any editing concerning language, concerning um, how I am on a daily basis, I would, uh, I would be upset about it. And they have adhered to that. Later in the show, I want to chat to you more about the Ralph Haynes case because that case has received significant media attention yes. in the last couple of, of months. And it's a very fascinating case, and it's a case that have, have put people against each other. So I want to come back to that. But before we get there, I want to talk about private investigators in South Africa. Um, you, Mike Borles, Paula Sullivan, are arguably the most well-known um, private investigators in South Africa. You've put private investigators on the map, and it shows that there is a need for private investigations in South Africa. Um, why do you think the industry still has such a negative perception about it? Well, Chad, thank you for that compliment, but you must include yourself there as well. I want to warn the public that uh, the public will, or those who come to us, will sometimes play the investigators, the good ones, out against each other. It happens daily. Uh, the reason why private investigators is seen as they are today is because of the history. It's, it's like the word apartheid or bouncer. It will not lose its stigma and it won't change. We are busy preparing for quite some time a project which we are going to send out, try and send out even this year if it's possible, regarding 
bogus PIs. What, uh, in other words, what they do is they take money and absolutely do nothing. Now, sometimes as a PI, you take money and you can't do anything, but you have done a form of service. It's like going to a doctor. The moment you walk out of the um, offices of the doctor, you're not necessarily healed. It takes sometimes some time, and sometimes you don't get healed, and you have to go to a specialist. So we are the end of the line. There's no other, I would say, platform above us. I see us in that line that when all else fails, people come to us, and then we can only do what we can do, and we try and give that service. But there's a lot of wannabe PIs. There's a lot of PIs, and you very well know that as well. You've dealt with them as well, that sees this as an easy income. They get into the industry, and uh, they many a times make use of their history as bouncers or bikers and uh, their size. And they um, mislead people by their size and their way of talk and who they connected to and what they can do. And it's a lot of misrepresentation and a hell of a facades that they put up with a main aim as to get your money. Once they have that money, and Rolf Haynes was one, uh, and there's so many others. There's this new youngster that I want to expose on the project. His name is, his name is Norman Henry Brown. He would go as far as to use my name and reputation in, for, in, in order uh, to either get people that he is connected with us or that he knows us so well, or he would actually make up a story and say that you are in danger of this man, Mike Borlase. He's that dangerous, and this is what he has done, and this is how many people have disappeared, etc. Cockamamie stories that you can't believe in order to move. And it's usually women. In this one instance, he, he abused this woman to a, a point out of her money to, uh, close to 2.7 million uh, out of a divorce case. So this is one example of many. And... Um, it's a warning that I want to put out there that uh, once you get yourself involved with a PI, it's very important to check his credentials. It's very important to do a proper vetting. It would be good to vet him by either us, our name or your name or Paul's name or other uh, good and registered uh, private investigators. But it's a very big problem in South Africa, and it's nothing other than a knock and scam that these guys are perpetrating on the public. You've touched on some very important points there. The first being that private investigators are the final point that people reach. They've gone to lawyers. They may have been let down by the civil system. They've gone to police. The criminal justice system may have let them down. The case may not even have been registered because the police themselves may not have understood the facets of the crime that took place. When they come to a private investigator, there isn't any guarantee that's given. But that private investigator, if he's registered, he's spent money on training. He's spent money on his infrastructure. He's a professional, just like if you went to an accountant, a doctor, or a lawyer. And I think you've hit the nail on the head that we've, we've got what we call deposit collectors out there. One of them you'll remember being um, Elandre Ali Alberts, who used your name, used multiple other people's names. And when we charged him along with Sira, there were over 17 cases that had been opened against him, five of which were active. Sira themselves opened the case. And when we come back from the break, just now, I actually want to talk about the registration of PIs in South Africa and why I believe that's such an issue. But before we take the break, if you could sum it up for me why you're still in the investigation game, in one paragraph, what keeps you getting up in the morning to conduct investigations? I really want to make a difference. I really want to make a change, bring a change about, and I really would like to uh, fight crime with all my heart. That's my passion. 
I cannot walk away from this. You're listening to Confidential Brief. I'm in conversation today with Mike Bollace, star of the CakeNet Reality series Bollace, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But it really is an eye-opener as to the challenges that PRs face, but as well as the successes that PRs have in South Africa. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. If you're just joining us, my name is Chad Thomas, and I'm chatting to Mike Borlase, star of the OcuReality series, Borlase, which is on CakeNet. If you don't know what OcuReality is, it's reality TV, but it's based on somebody's profession. So the Ocu is for occupation, and it is huge worldwide now. The fact that we no longer look at documentaries, we're tired of reality shows. We want to see people at work, people that are experts in their field, and find out more about that, what they're doing. Mike, what was it like having a TV crew following you around? Uh, I've been involved with the media for quite some time, so I, I was quite used to it. But it, it was an experience, make no mistake, and especially for some of my team members. But the uh, crew that is working with us has also been very patient and very assisting. So um, we've had actually had a very, very good time. Once the penny really dropped uh, amongst us that we're going to just go on as we work daily. There is, this is the real reality, I call it. So there was no such thing as the cameras uh, was on and then off. It just ro- rolled completely. And then obviously they took whatever they needed for the show out of it. But, um, yes, it took a lot of my time, a lot of uh, uh, reinvestigating of cases and uh, – Obviously, we had to prepare a lot because we needed to bring the information as closely as possible as it has exactly happened at that stage to the public. But, Mike, you're very comfortable in front of the camera. There was a a program not so long ago, almost like a roast, where the guy, um, one of the comedians, roasts you on Mm. on air, that type of thing. So it's not just confined to you commenting on Carte Blanche or commenting on Groot FM or commenting on Jacaranda about cases that are are topical or that are high profile. You've become a celebrity in your own right because of this industry. So you are comfortable. How long have you been in this game? Well, I would say from the bouncing uh, years up till now, we're looking at about 35 years. In the last 20, 25 years, we've been uh, concentrating on serious violence and serious economic crimes. Let's talk about your family. Your brother's also in law enforcement. He's a senior member of the Chwane Municipal yeah, Police yeah, Department. He's one of the directors in the Metro Police Pretoria. He's doing very well. He's trying his utmost. And you first generation or second generation South African? Uh, first. So your family came from? Uh, Holland uh, in the late 50s. They got married here. Yes, yeah, they got married here. And uh, I remember my father, where I stay now, bought that property, which is uh, 8.7 hectares then for 2,800 rand. And it sure. took him 10 years to pay it off. So that's where we all, well, all the Borlaces grew up. It's a very unique name in South Africa. I actually thought it was German. And, yeah. and you look Germanic. Mm. You look Aryan. But mm. tell me about, the, tell me about the, the reason your father came. Tell me about the family history. Um, my father and mother came through with my father's father and mother for actually just the experience. They decided at that stage they heard of South Africa, they're going to do something here. And my father actually started right off with the traffic department and he eventually, in 94, took his package as chief. 
and he's been staying ever since in Plettenberg Bay or uh, still by where he's now retired. Oh, he's st- I didn't realize your dad was still alive. No, he's, he's 70, so he's, he's old. And uh, his health is not as it should be. So um, all the other kids, obviously, in these years um, uh, grew up. Four of our children died. Uh, Brian, the well, most well-known, died of a shooting in- incident where he, um, he picked up a gun and it went off right into his face and he died at the spot. And the others was uh, the other brothers and one daughter was was very very small, so we are I think five left. Yeah, we all together nine at a stage. That's a very big family. Yeah, the Dutch do, they do big, and uh, my my fa- my father's father were fifteen brothers and sisters. Yeah. And your brother followed your your father in the family business yes, of did. of being senior within the the Pretoria traffic, which is now the Pretoria Metro Police. You never wanted to follow that route. No, um, I'm an interferer. Since day one, I wanted to interfere with situations. So that's how it all started. I uh, uh, even in the army, I, I was at the parachute battalion. I interfered myself into any situation as to change it for the better. So needless to say, in the beginning years, it was very violent. Uh, after the army, I started protecting nightclubs, and we would uh, literally sort out the guys if necessary. But uh, later in the years, we found better and effective ways. But up till today, we have no other way to sort something. In other words, if there's absolutely no other way to deal with the matter, we will deal with it physically and violently. Any regrets? No. Uh, in hindsight, I, I get asked that question quite a lot. Everything that has happened to me, whether it's either at a stage seen by myself or by others as bad or shouldn't have, hap- uh, have happened or have done it in another way, I, I've retracted that if I've ever thought so. Uh, during these years, I've realized that everything shapes you to, if you allow it to become who you are now and by the grace of god i am successful and by the grace of god i can make that difference and i cannot see it as happened as if i've not gone through everything that i've experienced it's a very good point because life does shape us and if one lives with regrets one cannot move forward because one's happy on the past you talk about the grace of god when did you become religious? Because you've, you've not shy to admit that you are religious and that religion plays an important role in your life. When did, when did this come about? Well, uh, my relationship with God is the most important, and I find that to be the hardest job rather than the one that I'm doing. It's extremely difficult to fight crime, but it's even more, a hundred times more difficult to become and be and stay a real Christian. Because if you read the Bible, it actually warns you of so many things, and we daily step into those that uh, and do things that we shouldn't do. But my family was all their lives in, involved in uh, religion, in Christianity. But I made um, decisions along my life constantly, uh, upping my decisions to stay and stick to the Bible as far as possible. In other words, um, I make sure that I spend time with God. I pray. And I make sure that those who wants to listen about that side of my life, I can be a testimony to, uh, to, to them. However, I want to say to the public the following. Um, 
if you want to find a stone to throw a dog, you're going to find it. So uh, I've been many a times by even those in the newspapers have been said, like Lolly Jackson has said, yeah, Mike, you've got the guns in the one hand and the Bible in the other. I do get that from time to time, and especially with the show where the language is and then I talk about God. It's, it's many a times um, misunderstood in our world when we deal with the real bads and, and, and we sit down with them or talk to them over the phone or deal with them. We know what the language comes to. So I, I see it in the sense that God knows my heart and I won't just use language anyway. So I adapt like a chameleon to situations. When I'm in a Christian situation, I will speak the way of a Christian. And when I'm in a Jewish situation, I'll be the Jew there and a, a Roman amongst the Romans and a Greek amongst the Greeks. So you need to be a chameleon to be a PI. You need to be a chameleon when you do investigations. However, you must not uh, become the criminal. Before my studio engineer Craig chooses our, our song when we reach the halfway mark, I have a, a, a question for you relating to your complete and utter hatred and disregard for drugs. Is this because of a personal experience? Is this because of somebody you knew? But you will always talk about crimes against women, children, and drugs in particular. Where does this stem from? The reason why drugs is my number one a fetish, if I can call it like that, is because I have seen that once you're involved in drugs, you destroy many more lives. You know, if there's a cash in transit, it is just that group of people. If there's a bank robbery, it's just those people. If there's um, uh, house robbery, it's just those people. There are certain crimes that just involves a few people and for a short period of time. But drugs has got the um, bad effect of destroying the complete family. In other words, many of the worst cases that I've seen is that families have lost their names and reputations. They've lost all their savings, all their monies. They've lost everybody and everyone around them. And they have pulled the druggie, have pulled down the complete and total family and then gotten involved with all those other, other crimes that I've just mentioned, like getting involved in cash in transit, like getting involved in murder and robbery, etc., etc. It just doesn't stop. Starts with a cigarette. Once you're hooked on cigarettes, I can tell you now, you're already yes for slav. You 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 hooked. You cannot if you can't put a cigarette down, you must be careful. Now with cannabis being legalized or on its way to be legalized, it's very dangerous uh, because it seems like people are looking for something that they may do wrong legally, and that's the gateway to all drugs. So. And especially it's our children, Chad. That's, to me, the biggest concern. Because if you've got a young child getting involved with drugs, you can sure as hell see a criminal in the future from him. That's Mike Bolles being as direct as he is without a filter, which has made his television show Bolles so popular on CakeNet. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about the investigation industry, the registration of PRs, and then cold cases, and in particular, the Ralph Haynes case. <laughs> You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Uh, we've just got a message in for Mike. It's from Anthony. And Anthony says, um, hi there. What's happening in Cape Town with the gangs taking over restaurants and clubs? Is there a turf war? Seems like Seapoint is the center of it. Mike? Yeah, well, just short and sweet, Anthony. Um, there are things positively happening. So there is police intervention. We know of that. Uh, we do get a lot of information, and we know all those gangsters. 
But uh, we have warned about this many, many years ago and still warn that uh, crime begets crime. And if it's not dealt with immediately, it will become much bigger. And, yes, what you are stating there, your very question is what's happening there. There is turf wars, and it's all got to do with money and drugs. Uh, we have another question relating to um, the previous question, and it says, are you guys involved in that investigation? Um, from your side, Mike, are you involved in any of the investigations pertaining to Cape Town? We are from the sideline. In other words, we have informants, and whatever information we do have, we have operatives there looking from the side, but uh, we're not directly involved, but uh, we know what's going on there. If I could answer that, listener, private investigations in South Africa have changed over the years. It's no longer a man with a tape recorder and binoculars hiding in the bushes trying to find out whether his client, who happens to be the wife of somebody, whether that husband is cheating on the wife. Investigations have changed incredibly in South Africa to the point that there's a symbiotic relationship between state law enforcement and private law enforcement, and they both need one another. Um, it's far easier for Mike and I to run a project than it is for the police because the police have a lot of red tape. And there's case law that supports private investigations. If one looks at State v. Boerter 1995, the judge ruled that the investigation of crime is not the sole domain of just the police. Others can be involved, and that is why we have to register and we have to be part of an organization that regulates us. Which takes me to my next question, Mike. We run intelligence-based investigations. It costs us a lot of money to be registered with PCIRA. We have to be vetted by PCIRA. We have to be in, uh, inspected by PCIRA. All of our staff have to be trained and registered. Do you think PCIRA is the right organization, considering their size? They're the biggest regulatory authority in South Africa because they govern the entire security industry. Of close on 500,000 registered security officers, private investigation companies and private investigators make up a mere 500 of that figure. So we zero 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 percent down the line. Do you think CIRA is serving our best interests, and do you think it's the right regulatory body for us? It is definitely the right body. It's very, very strict, and it has a, I can tell you, a very thick book about this size, size of a Wilbur Smith, that uh, gives you all the rules and regulations. However, I don't think they have um, evaluated the private uh, investigators as scenario that we find ourselves in properly because for instance it's required on my letterheads that I would state my address and if I don't put it there I could be fined and I sometimes would not uh, put my address there specifically if I deal with gangs especially with the gangsters in, in Cape Town and especially when there's informants involved so I've, I've seen quite a few mistakes and I think that the, the, the solution forward would be that CIRA takes in consideration there, that there is end-of-the-line organizations that is completely and totally different than uh, the security guarding industry and that there is differences even amongst them and levels, uh, different levels. And that should be taken in consideration. Also, I think they're too small. They should be much bigger. I think there's a lot of corruption. And thirdly, I think that they shouldn't target those that they know because they regularly target those that they know or are well-known. Um, and sometimes you would even think that you're a target uh, because of some differences or history. I think they should really, really go out and start from the bottom to the very guy that has bought 
is a registration from the black market. They should deal with corruption within. It's been during the years so many corruption within Sira itself. But like uh, in the policing industry, you'll, you'll get 80% of the cops uh, being useless and corrupt. And that doesn't mean selling a docket. It means basically that they're not protecting and serving. I would say Sira's maybe not that bad, but they have corruption and they, they should uh, carefully investigate that as well. At the end of the day, what we need, Chad, is authorities that need to be beyond reproach. They need to be doing their work. Otherwise, what are they doing there? Join the conversation by WhatsApping us on 061-895-1019. That number again is 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. Remember that SMSs cost one rand fifty, or you can tweet us at FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Investigations in South Africa have changed significantly, especially in the private sector. Like I mentioned earlier, a private investigator is no longer somebody who's there to check on the infidelity of a husband or a wife. We now fill a space that is necessary because the police are over worked for one for, for want of a better word i want to be as polite as possible but the fact remains is that there are sophisticated crimes where at station level they can't be investigated and people used to rave about the scorpions and in some instances people talk about the hawks but i ask people with tears in my eyes where is the local hawk station where you can walk in and lay a charge relating to a sophisticated crime where was the local scorpion station that you could walk in and open a, a, a charge you can't it has to go via your local police stations and only then can they determine whether it's escalated so it's a it's a horrific catch-22 situation because the policemen in the charge office don't necessarily have the experience in commercial organized crimes to make the call and that's where private investigators now fit in and private investigators if you've watched carte blanche if you've watched Checkpoint, if you've watched Special Assignment, if you watch Boles on CakeNet, form an integral role in South African law enforcement. Now, Mike, often cases overlap. I'm currently reviewing the Ralph Haynes case. Now, you've been involved in the Ralph Haynes case from day one. Tell me how you got involved in the Ralph Haynes case. Not your opinion on the Ralph Haynes case just yet. How did you get involved? And then let's talk about the crimes that Ralph was linked to. A Friday afternoon, I got a call from Jackie in tears, Jackie Haynes, uh, requesting me to have a look and see if I can find a husband. I've asked a few questions, and uh, I found that it was very premature because I said to her that, you know, it's been four hours, so let's wait the night and see. And I've asked the normal questions like, um, has he done this before, etc., etc., but she was quite unstable and didn't give a real answers. Needless to say, the thing escalated over the weekend. Fricky Lutsky and uh, Drummond Hammond phoned me the night and said to me they're on their way to me, also trying to assist because Jackie phoned them as well. Uh, Charlie Landman called me. Oh, so many. Uh, it seems like the old, old crew of them called me. I have it all in, on file, obviously all stating that Ralph has disappeared and uh, they are concerned and this, that, uh, this, that, and the other. So um, Fricky Lutsky never came because I started asking some direct questions over the phone. 
And then uh, Jackie asked me over the weekend to please do a newspaper article. So I called Gavin Prince, and uh, I stated a few facts. Got the uh, she sent it. She sent the best photos of Ralph, and yeah, Gavin interviewed her. She's given all the instructions that she's given me to him as well. And there was a proper newspaper article in the report, and that's how the, the whole thing started. And ever since I've been looking for Ralph, it's my opinion that he has been murdered. And uh, all those who initially spoke to me, I've asked them all to come for a polygraph and give proper statements. Not one did except Davi. But Davi up till this day has refused to give a uh, Davi Lotter. He is a right-hand man of the stage and driver. Has refused to, uh, to submit himself to such a level of giving a polygraph test. Now, I've asked you to keep your viewpoint to yourself till the end of the show because I want to talk about this. This is <laughs> a, this is, this is, no, 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 you haven't given your full viewpoint. Yeah. This is, this is a case that has captured the South African, um, public because of who Ralph was. Mm. Ralph was somebody that was extremely colorful. He was involved in everything from boxing promoting all the way down to running through fields after supposedly being involved in, um, knocking um, of people with, with, the, with the likes of Cody Hurson, etc. He had links to people within the CCB. And his book really reads like a Hollywood story if you read what Isaac Duplessis has written. He also makes a feature in Isaac Duplessis' other book, um, Bura Fenerkes. So it's a very fascinating story. IRS Forensic Investigations got involved not because of the disappearance of Ralph Haynes, but what finding out about his disappearance could help with the closing of other cases. And let me elaborate. Ralph was linked to so many businessmen that one has to ask the question, what were businessmen doing associating themselves with Ralph, who had a record for some serious crimes? He had spent time in prison and done some serious time. So the reason why we involved is two reasons. We want closure. For the family because we believe it's always very important that closure happens and we like to involve ourselves with cold cases. But the most important aspect for us is to look at who would want Ralph to go missing, why would they want Ralph to go missing, and what cases would be closed as a result of getting to the bottom of it. So let me switch it to you now and ask you, why do you think he went missing? And what do you think, in your personal viewpoint, is the reason why people have not been forthcoming with information that may have information on the disappearance of Ralph Haynes? Let me answer that first. Uh, the underworld, gangsterism, you, you won't easily get people to participate. In, in, in the underworld, it's, it's a given that you don't get involved. You don't snitch. You don't talk. If something happens, you, as a matter of fact, Unless you guys as a team or as a group, those who are left behind, can't sort it out themselves, they would rather leave it. They don't get involved with authorities at all. So I assume that I, I got no support further because even Jackie, I asked even Jackie with all the statements that she has given me over the phone to put it on proper black and white and then come for a polygraph. Polygraph is only there for one reason. It's to steer me in the correct direction. I have of the best polygraphists, which is extremely qualified and which looks at all the five points of the body that can clearly – you need to really be a D5 fridge as to win this machine. So I've, I, I personally think we've got the best machine. 
And I've explained it as such. So the reason why I think he disappeared is because he was my informant. And I think it leaked out in, 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 in the last couple of months. There was, out of all the cases against him, there was 13 cherry-picked cases by organized crime, which they were to arrest him on that Monday. So now people would say, but that makes sense why he would disappear. But remember, the underworld is not stupid. It can easily use that as a direction to make the authorities look. But look, there was these cases. We all knew of it. And uh, Ralph was Mike's informant. He's been at Mike's place so many times. And he's given him a lot of information, etc., etc., which will take days to explain here. But he has given us so much information. And that's why he would disappear. But Ralph Haynes can't disappear because, in our opinion, we've done thorough, in-depth forensic investigations, which brought us to nowhere, and financial investigations. And the way that he left, he left with absolutely most important things that needed to be with him when he would disappear, like uh, stuff that he, and medicine that he would need for his leg, etc., etc. There's so many things that rather showed me that the way that he, say, inverted commas, disappeared showed that uh, he was rather killed and then made to disappear. Um, I have two questions for you. Um, the one is from Jackie herself. She's, she's SMS the studio relating the polygraph test. She says, Mike, why would I, I go for a polygraph test if I am bipolar? And then the second question comes from me. It's if he was to, is it necessary for him to have appeared as a witness in terms of the information that he was given for those cases to proceed? Could that be a reason that he was he was silenced, or can those cases proceed without him? So two questions. The first is from Jackie. She says, I have bipolar. Why would I go for a polygraph test? And the second question relates to the crimes he was involved in. Mm. Is it possible for us to proceed in those other investigations, or is it necessary to have him in the box? Well, uh, to Jackie, I would say that she did offer it at that stage. And uh, the only reason for a polygraph is to either include you or exclude you. The question in any serious crime would always and always start with the people closest to you. And it was all offered. Everybody offered. They would come and they would give statements and everything, including Lutsky and Drummond. Now, Mr. Hammond has now called me two nights ago, and he said to me that he sees his name on the project, and he would like to take it off. So I said to him, well, let's go back to basics where you offered to do a polygraph, and he's coming now. Secondly, uh, yes, Ralph needs to be present. Now, taking consideration, there was a murder attempt uh, to one of the made to one of the senior investigators of organized crime, uh, Colonel I uh, can't remember her name now, but she left very quickly after all this whole debacle. And little little Ralphie was involved, Eugene Fulhoun, and Saki Enslin. And it was planned, the gun, everything was planned. And fortunately that day, instead of, of uh, uh, the colonel, it's a woman, turning right past them, she turned left. And that there was a, a groping of the gun and they couldn't shoot her when she passed. So... 
that was one of my main and serious cases against Ralph, and that is what made Ralph turn. Because at that stage, I've already turned Eugene Fulyun. He's already given all the information, and he was the permanent driver at that stage. And I already had other informants, and me and Ralph started building, and I know Ralph for years, and he is the likable guy, as you say. He's a wonderful man. I, I actually like him. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I am after this and, and, and passionately going on with this investigation. But I had Ralph at a, at a point with organized crime where, and I always go that route where I said, listen, why don't we work together and see if we can get things solved and sorted. And we, we were at that point, and then this happened. Jackie asked why you never took written statements uh, when you had appointments with Luke, her, Darby, and Barney. Firstly, who's Barney? Secondly, did you guys meet? And thirdly, is it necessary for you to have the statement? Yes, it is. And um, I understand Jackie's frustration and her concern. But uh, her concerns is the same as mine, and that's why she's asked you. And I don't like hurting people, and I don't like belittling people and make it worse for them. Uh, there was many a times that this should have been rather brought to me than me going after them, begging for it. It was offered. And secondly, I I know of the history between Luke Enslin and them, but that, I can assure you, is also unnecessary because Luke's involvement, Colonel Luke Enslin's involvement as my main investigator presently on the case, and I've given him a team to assist him, is also the same as to get to the bottom of this as quickly as possible. I want to say something here that I hope the penny drops here. Everybody cannot always say a lot of things about the Ralph Haynes disappearance or possible murder because me and Jackie agrees and Darby and all the underworld figures do agree that it's our opinion that he's been murdered. That is Gert Mare's opinion. All of them, Saki Enslin, you name them, Carl Foster. So, but it is imperative that those who seek the truth from themselves go out of their way to assist those investigators out there, whether it's me, you, or a group of us, out of your way to give whatever is necessary. In other words, it would be rather a question of why would people not, at that stage when I was appointed, and that's on an affidavit basis, go out of their way to rather see me constantly than less and give whatever I would require to uh, assist with this investigation. I want to add one more thing. A lot of people say, yeah, it's good that Ralph is dead and he deserved it and he was so bad and this, that and the other. But Ralph had the two sides. He was the good side. Darby explained it on my TV show quite well and he had the bad side. But I tell you why I want the murderer or murderers. If Ralph was killed by the farmer that he knocked with 900,000 rand out of rage because a totally innocent person was knocked by him, this is an example, and he's lost it and he went up to Ralph and he killed Ralph point blank, I would understand that. But since everybody that is so closely involved with him, who are all gangsters, it is a concern to me that they have taken this route because Ralph can only be killed if I am correct, that he has been murdered by those who can commit murder. The Ralph Haynes mystery 
is going to be solved, and it's going to be solved as a concerted effort by all the parties involved. The fact that you've now revealed some new information today regarding people that are coming forward for polygraphs goes far in showing that there is now renewed energy in this case. I'd like to remind you that the show Boles is every Wednesday at what time and on what channel, Mike? It's... uh it's every Wednesday on 8 o'clock on CakeNet Channel 144, and it is available on Catch-Up. So, in other words, if you've missed any of the episodes, uh, I'd actually like to say do yourself a favor and try and get it. If you have difficulty with the English language, have somebody with you, as good as you, that can give you the English translation in Afrikaans. But it's worthwhile watching, and I want to reiterate again the intention is to show that we are passionate about crime, we want to solve crime, and we give a lot of information, and we would love assistance. So anybody who has assistance on even the Rolf Haynes case, please, we would highly appreciate if it could be mailed to us. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, to our listeners, we'll be bringing you an update on the Ralph Haynes case next year. Um, based on the fact that Mike is still actively looking at this matter, we are looking at this matter. The family want closure. There are a lot of periphery players, and there's a lot of people that don't want this solved. I can tell you this, and this is from my lips to your ears. We are going to get closure in this case, come hell or high water. It's one of those cases that impacts on South Africa. It's one of those cases that impacts on organized crime. And if we can solve this case, we can solve a lot of other cold cases. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. And as you've said, we are working together. We've been working for many years on cases together. And uh, if somebody has a problem with you, Chad, they're more than welcome to come and see us. And if somebody has a problem with us, they're more than welcome to come and see you. And we see this very clearly in this Ralph Haynes case, but that doesn't deter us from working together. If we can just start by getting everybody going out of the way to assist us, we can eliminate a lot of suspects. Next week on Confidential Brief, we're chatting about the evolution of CCTV and how that evolution can help you prevent crime from taking place in your home. We'll be chatting to Bill Sandham from Cam Era next week right here on Confidential Brief.